chapter 12. There, there really is a, um, this was referenced a few times already today, there is uh, an outpouring of the presence of God and um, his, the way he seems to be relating to us is, um, is familiar, but quite different. And there seems to be a, a more, how do I say this? Because you're talking about the presence of the Lord. There seems to be a more uh, dialogue-oriented uh, way that God is relating now. Um, over the years, we've, we've been blessed as saints to hear from him. We've been to, to receive ramas, to have angelic encounters where we're told things. There were times, many times, where we've been, uh, had the privilege of having things explained to us by, by the Spirit in, in glorious ways. But, um, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that what's happening now has never happened in our pathway to this point, but it seems to be a familiar a continuing dialogue between us and and God. And over the past few weeks, for instance, there have been a number of um, dreams that have come that have involved God just speaking and and teaching about things. And I, I I'm I'm really astounded. I'm astounded by this. It doesn't happen every night. But like, for instance, uh, the message this morning is going to be um, a, uh, a reflection of something that seemed to be a part of a dialogue throughout the entire night last night in, in a dream. And I, I, I was uh, made aware, I woke up uh, at about 2 in the morning and was aware of the fact that God had been speaking to me about grace. And... Um, and then uh, I prayed in the spirit and thought about what he had said and drifted back off to sleep. And then I woke up again at 4.30 and the conversation was still going on. And this time it was about uh, um, how his grace is sufficient and what, what that means. And so uh, when I finally, at that point, just prayed and then got up, and went and um, pulled up the passages and did some study as I was praying in the Spirit. And so um, I believe that this is a word for us because dreams represent purpose. And um, <clears throat> this was not normally the way I receive a word for us on Sundays, but I did feel that in light of the emphasis that God was putting on this throughout the night, that I needed to at least try to encapsulate some of the thoughts and release it to you uh, because um, we are still moving in this year of grace. God is propelling us forward in so many different ways, and it's exciting. It's exciting, and it's, uh, it's kind of challenging, too. You know, Mark was referencing all the, the, the responsibilities and the and the various measures that go into being able to answer the call in, in so many theaters of operation, not the least of which uh, how you prepare for it here and what you do to 
keep the supply going. Um, it, it's, it's really an odd time. Um, it's a good time. It's ordered of the Lord. But uh, you find yourself having to, to release uh, principles and um, themes that God has developed over decades now. And as you, you're trying to gain what he would say about how they need to be applied here and then and a little bit differently here. Uh, and, um, and then, um, you know, you've, you've got to keep your, you got to keep open to fresh meat, you know, because you, any, any corporation or any, uh, any concern has to keep progressing forward. Uh, because if you if you settle, you soon are bypassed and you miss the moment. Um, and when you think you have all, you know that's when you fall. And so um, you you've got to you've got to keep that going. So grace is grace is something that seems to be, you know, it's it's part it's one of the seven spirits of God, uh, according to what the Scripture says. Grace and supplication, God has been building on that theme of supplication and our partnership with him very strongly over the years, but primarily for the last year and a half, he's been just pressing it, pressing it, pressing it, trying to cause us to go from the theoretical and the, and the conceptual into an actualization of it to where we are, we are really partnering with God uh, in, in our conversation, in our in our uh, dialogue with him. And that's why I believe we are sensing this new, this new uh, uh, presentation of his heart that is more dialogue-oriented. It's nonetheless divine, but it's not just receiving words and processing to teach, which has been glorious, but it's been more of uh, it's been more of an exchange and where you're sitting at his feet hearing him talk about things that are important to him. And I think that that has, uh, that has a lot to do with the line upon line that's led us to this point because this point would really not be possible in the way it's, it's happening had we not had those many, many years of walking with him and learning of him. We're still learning. But that set the stage for this time frame. And so if grace is, uh, as, to say it this way, as grace is part of the makeup of God's spirit, and as supplication type of praying is a partnership with God, then we would recognize that God offering himself in this way is, is one of the most glorious, um, what word do I choose, o opportunities, offerings from him that we could ever receive. It's much, it's much broader than simply feeling his power or receiving a touch or, or, or uh, gaining some measure of supply. Those are wonderful. But to to walk with him as Enoch walked with him is uh, amazing. And I, I do think that this thing that I've been trying awkwardly to describe today is part of what 
uh, Jude mentioned when he said about in the last times, Enoch would come with tens of thousands of the saints. The saints are being empowered now by that walking with Elohim type of, of um, partnership and commune and conversation with God, which is, which is not only necessary, it is, it's, it's the apex of our existence. And um, so it's, it's a glorious thing. And to have God talk to us, uh, and I, I, I know that these, this, this night-long dream that I had is not just me. You know, I recognize that whoever would be standing in this post, this divine appointment, that has something that supersedes the person. It involves the person, but it supersedes the person. And um, so, you know, you might say, well, I, you know, you could be like the, the leaders of the 12 tribes who said, we hear from God just like you. You know, we hear too. Well, la-di-da. You know, what did God, how did God answer that? How did God answer Aaron and Miriam when they came and said, you know, we, we have a bone to pick with you, Moses. And God called them out and said, who do you think you are? You know, this is my positioning. I'm all about relationship and authority structure. And this is the one that I've appointed. David wouldn't even touch Saul when Saul was being despicable, to say the least. And so I recognize, I recognize that the, this, this type of an encounter for grace for our network is not about me at all. It's about the purpose of what God is wanting to do through all of you. And so he just uses this as the, as the, as the touch point. And with that, I stand with fear and trembling because I don't want to misrepresent that. It's not subjective, even though it is. It's objective, even though it isn't. Does that make sense? I sound like Jerry Jones. <laughs> you say one thing and mean 50 other things. Uh, you know, it is, it is a personable thing because God chooses to speak through people. And, you know, as the scripture says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And, um, but, but I do know that this is, uh, this grace discussion from God about himself. Think about that. This is God talking to us, not about the concept of grace, but a, about the dimension of his heart that is grace. That's, it's, it's amazing to me and how it applies. So here you have in 2 Corinthians 13, this very familiar passage of scripture where Paul is, is basically saying that because of what God was trying to do through him, um, and, and I think we all would agree that out of the abundance of other voices that were being spoken in, um, in those decades following the ascension of Christ, that out of all of them, nobody impacted the church like the Apostle Paul, which is one of the reasons I love to be, uh, to go to Brazil and to partner with the First Fruits Church there in a city that's named after St. Paul. Because um, 
You know, that just kind of strikes me. I mean, as you travel through the, the Catholic world, you don't see a whole lot of emphasis about Paul. You just don't. You see Mary, you see Peter, you see others. But to have uh, the Portuguese say, you know what, this is a new land and this is going to be dedicated to uh, the mission of St. Paul. And I, I love that because we're dedicated to the mission that God has given to St. Paul. We're dedicated. We read these letters that God wrote through him under the anointing of the Spirit. And so I'm grateful for that. So Paul here is talking about the calling that God has given him for the Gentile church and the, and the proclivity of dreams and visions and revelations. Verse, verse 7 uh, lest I should be exalted above measures through the abundance of revelation. It was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. That's a good word. We should resurrect the word thrice. What do you think? Hey. <laughs> Elizabeth, you say thrice today. Nobody's going to know what you're talking about. I dare you to do it. For this I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's, that's an amazing thing. You know, you think about, my grace is sufficient for thee. And uh, the term sufficient there doesn't mean just enough or, you know, you're, you're going to make it. Don't give up. You're going to make it. It's, uh, it's from a really curious Greek word pronounced arche, A-R-K-E, not A-R-C-H-E. And it means to, to bolster something. To, in, in some cases, to put a barrier around something that uh, will sustain what's within while resisting the attempt to overcome that. And I think it's really, it's really neat. I love linguistics. I love etymological studies. You know, sometimes it's hard to describe the, the flow patterns, but you see them through history. And I, I dare not write about this because somebody will say, I didn't find that, and then say the whole, the whole thing is, is awash. But you think about RK, the, the foundational word. You think about the ark. You think about the way linguistically that was used. And it all seems to come from the fact that whatever God says he's going to do, he, encl he encloses that. He encompasses that, and he will protect those that are standing on behalf of what he says he's going to do. And so sufficient means that whatever God's giving, he's put enough grace around us to where we're going forward, we're representing what he's wanting to do. He, God's in the midst of that grace. God is giving insight. He's giving revelation, which happens when you're partnering with God and you're moving forward. Isn't that true? You know, when you're moving forward in grace, God is with you. Otherwise, you're not moving forward in grace. You can't move forward in true divine grace unless you're really partnering with God. 
He's leading you forward. He's with you. And with that then, he gives you insights. He gives you revelations. He gives you uh, perceptions and perspectives. He, he teaches you. He trains you. And he does that in abundance. How many times have we said over the years, wow, there's just so much meat. There's just so much good things. You, you wonder when, when it, if it, in your mind, when will it stop? When will, when will we finally come to the limit? And we recognize there is no limit in God because he just keeps from glory to glory showing himself. And, and this is what's going to make eternity so phenomenal for us in walking with God. So there is an abundance of visions and, and, and revelations and understandings that come when you're walking in grace, which is why God would say when Satan is resisting that, and he does resist, he doesn't, he doesn't like what God's doing. He never has. He wanted to end it from the, from the very first time God enunciated it. He was a man killer from the beginning. He doesn't like you, and he hates what you're doing for God. He, he hates the whole concept of it. He hates the whole, the identity of it. Not just what you're going to accomplish, but he hates the whole idea of it, which is what sparked him to rebel to begin with. And so, when you're moving in partnership with God, and God is leading you forward in grace for his kingdom's sake, and God is revealing things that have been hidden from the foundation of the world, the enemy is going to try to resist that. And so Paul said, you know, I don't really like this resistance. Uh, how many of you would say I've, uh, you, would, you would echo that from time to time? <laughs> Moving forward, and, and your mind says, Lord, you know, we're doing this for you. How can you let this be happening? And I know you've never said that, Louise. But uh, some, of the, some of us that aren't as holy, we've, I know I've thought it. Um, that this is, I guess, what Paul was saying. I sought the Lord thrice that this would be removed. And God said, my grace is sufficient. In other words, you're moving in grace. This is why you have all this. And this is why uh, the, the opposition's coming. But, you know, uh, my grace has surrounded you. My grace has built up a barrier around you. Yeah, every now and then something gets through, but you can rest assured that if it comes in one way, it's going to flee in seven. And so, you know, I, I love this. So Paul then says, I therefore now glory in the Astheneas where grace has penetrated. Uh, I, I glory in them because the power of Christ, the dunamis of Christ is skeno. It's resting upon me. It's like a tabernacle upon me. The glory of being an anointed son is upon me in this dry and weary land where grace has invaded. And so I, I glory in this, that the dunamis, the function of the power of God, might be known. And so he says he takes pleasure. That's a weird word. I, I don't know. I'm not inviting this because I really don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses, for Christ's sake. I don't want that. I don't, you know, but again, it just kind of goes with the territory. Because you're, you're invading. You are, you're driving back the enemy. You are, you are taking possession of estemes. You're taking possession of strongholds. And it's war. 
It's not all warm and fuzzies and pink bunnies. It's, it's war. And, but we're victorious. And so, you know, I, Paul says, I take pleasure in it. And that word means what it says. I don't know how that is. I have to admit to you, I have not yet grasped the anointing of finding pleasure in this. Now, I can, I can deduce and I can rationalize through pneumatic principles, pneumaticos principles. I can, I can understand from the scripture these things, you know, we're moving in grace and partnership. The enemy's coming against. God's put this around us. We're going to see this asthenia turned into a place of, of fruitfulness. And so I, I look at that and the dunamis, I can, I can process that. But to find pleasure in it? I don't know. That's what Paul found. Maybe, maybe that's what God wants to give us. Where would the pleasure be in that? You know, there's no pleasure in getting whacked. There's no pleasure in having lack. Hey, I sound like Dr. Zeus. <laughs> I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like them in a bush. I do not like them... Well, I won't say anything more. <laughs> Thrice. So God says to him, my grace is sufficient. I put around you some type of a grace barrier. And so suddenly then Paul says, okay, I'm going to rejoice in this. And I'm going to take pleasure in these astheneas. And, and I'm looking for the functionality of his dunamis, and, and it's, it's like that comes on me, and the only thing about it that you could derive pleasure from is the fact that you're partnering with God, and his presence is so rich with you. Because this is his work, it's not yours. And you can look to what he's going to do, like the joy set before you, and, but, but, but I still say, Lord, help us to, to receive that anointing to take pleasure in this. Because it seems like a grand leap of faith to be able to not just do it for the Lord, which is wonderful, that's what we're doing it for, not just to know something good's coming, as Oral Roberts used to say, saying, it, it's, it's, not, it's not just to be able to to comprehend these principles in the word that is, it's a delight to be able to see them, but to step into that place where you take pleasure in it. Wow. That sounds almost sadistic in a, in a spiritual way, but it's not. You know, you, you're facing this thing, but God is with you and grace is around you, and it's, it's delight, it's pleasure. So anyway, the point is that we're with God in grace. And so that, that barricade of grace is around us. And, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. So then after 4 o'clock, that was the 2 o'clock. That was the 2 o'clock interruption, the intermission. You know, I don't know whether it's really a, a divine intermission or whether it's just that I'm 62 now and I have to get up at night. I don't know. 
One or the other, Winford. One or the other. But it's good. It's good for me, though, because when I wake up, I can immediately, as you transition out of that, you can remember what you're, you can remember what you're seeing, what he's been saying. It's, it's good. So I do believe it's of the Lord. But then I thought, after 4, that Zechariah 4, the, the, this passage, Zechariah 4, verses 6 through 10, really well known. Um, then he answered and spoke unto me, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We were talking about Zerubbabel earlier in Sunday school class in CC's message. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who has despised the day of small things? For they shall see, they shall rejoice, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Wow. Grace, grace, undo it. There's a couple points here that I came out of this dream uh, conversation hearing. One of them was um, about um, the fact that, you know, who shall despise the day of small things? Now, sometimes, you know, we've quoted this. Uh, sometimes you think of that. And despising the day of small things, some people say small beginnings. But it doesn't, look at it right there in the holy writ that Paul the apostle carried around. It doesn't say small beginnings, it says small things. And we kind of like to interpret it as small beginnings because then that helps us to think things aren't going to be always this small. They're going to grow. It's just a beginning. And, and really, when you look at this word and the way it's used throughout the Old Testament, sometimes you find that it is speaking of infancy, it is speaking of inception, it is speaking of beginning points, but the majority of the time, just flat means small. And it goes back to that idea of remnant. It goes back to that idea of being a seed. It goes back to that idea of, you know, you're standing there and it looks like everything in the world is against, but, you know, you are, you are there as that seed of the Lord and he's with you. And that's really what it means. So who will despise that process? For some, it's a, it's, it's a deal killer. You know, they look at their life, they look at their age, their biological clock physically is ticking and they say you know uh, I can't just keep doing this you know I've got a I'm, my ambition tells me that I should be bigger than this and so I'm going to launch out here and I'm going to launch out there so that I can I can really make a name for myself and really see my flower of talent grow that others might admire it as much as I do And honestly, you're chunking the remnant seed out the window when you do that. And um, 
Who shall despise the concept of being small in the shadow of a big God? That is a key. Despise means just what you and I think it means. It means to look at it with disdain and to say, I've had it with this. I don't like it. I don't want it. I shall not embrace it any longer. Despise. The day of small. That's amazing. And, you know, when I, when I was remembering the Lord talk about this in the morning hours, I, was, I felt like what he was saying is, I'm with you. This is my way. And I, I, I delight in the shepherd on the hillside. I delight in being born in Bethlehem. I delight in being uh, the, the one that puts a thousand to flight. I delight in that. God delights in that. And it was almost as if he was saying two things to us. Number one, I delight that you delight in it because this is my way. And it, it strengthens the, the love that, and trust you have for me that you embrace and delight in that. And secondly, there was almost uh, the feeling, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking this, God, and forgive me for not being able to say it well, as he was reflecting on how, how much he loves you for being willing to embrace this thing that he loves, there was a sadness that was being communicated at those that uh, were rejecting um, that, that work of grace. And it reminds me of one of the passages that speaks about grace and supplication, Rahab weeping for her children, and how that, that concept of rejecting that partnership with God is, is part of grace and supplication. Uh, according to the scriptural depiction of it. And then the other thing that was so apparent was um, that the not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, that it's God doing it. It's not through your, your ability to maneuver and to, uh, to develop a battle plan and bring it through or it's not through even the authority that's been given, the koach that's been given to you. It's not through those. In the plan of God, it's through his spirit. And that's why we have to keep moving in his spirit, even though you may have become skilled, and even though you may regularly be at the throne knowing his power and his directive. It's still his spirit. It's still his spirit. And, and, and how he wants to do a thing. It's personal. It's his ways. And that was, that was apparent. And then he spoke about mountains. And, and you know, this, this passage, Who art thou, great mountain? Um, there, there is no, and I looked at this in several different places. And the who art thou is really not there. It just says great mountain. And great is used, that Hebrew word is used to describe the high in high priest, 
on a number of occasions. And it speaks about position, it speaks about authority, it speaks about uh, the measure of, of uh, some kind of, of, of responsibility, of position. And so it really personalizes this mountain, which is why I think they tried to say the who, because they were, they were, the translators were saying, okay, this is a mountain, so it's really not a personage. How can a mountain have a position? How can a mountain be de designated as high in a figurative and authoritative state? So they, they just tried to say that perhaps the, the mountain was a person, and they were saying the who in regard to that. But, but see, that doesn't make sense because the mountain is the same word that's used for mountain everywhere. There's no if, and, or but, you know? So God was talking about a spiritual, uh, a spiritual obstacle, position, perhaps an enemy, enemy force that has taken dominion uh, in, a, in a high place, which all the kings were judged by what they did in the high places in the Old Testament. And so God was speaking about these high places and those who rule in them. And he was saying that, um, you know, they, they don't really have anything to resist because you are moving in the double issuance of grace. It's not just that you're in the concept of grace. And remember the law of double issuance. When in the scripture, wherever there's two words that are put back to back, that is a personal expression of, a, of an endearing relationship. So whether it's Moses, Moses, or Abraham, Abraham, or Samuel, Samuel, those are always indicative of an intimacy between God and that person or thing. And so when, when you're coming up against a, uh, an enemy stronghold, which Zerubbabel was, and you are dealing with the ramifications of it, However that high thing is, it's not because of your authority. It's not because of your capabilities of maneuvering. It's not because uh, you've just been at it a long time, and if you know anything, you know how to get it done. It's always going to be the partnership with God's spirit. And so when the mountain presents itself, you're going to be able to proclaim not just grace or the concept of it or the assignment of it, but you're partnering with God. Grace, grace. You've been commissioned to be there. You've been assigned to be there, and you are there with God himself. It's his spirit. It's not your authority. It's not your capability. It's his spirit. We're speaking of seven spirits here. So you're proclaiming grace, grace to whatever demonic stronghold is there, and it has to go. So that, that's just, that was such a, an amazing um, interchange and expression. And uh, so here you have it here in Zechariah 4, and, and right after verse 7 it says, the word of Yahweh comes and says, you know, Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation, and he's going to finish it because he didn't despise the small thing. He didn't despise the impossibility of it. And we've talked about Zerubbabel and Joshua 
We've talked about that and how they were years before when Nehemiah came with the sword and the trowel and Ezra came, you know, at the banks of the river saying, you know, we're going to go back and we're taking all these things with us and we didn't ask any king, any help from the king because what would that look like? You know, this was the guy that is, uh, is started the thing and after all the other folks arrive, he's going to finish it. Why? Because he's partnering with the grace of God. He didn't despise the impossibility of the small. And he, uh, he's willing to stand there in the face of this, and he's going he's gonna to hold on. You think, you know, well, what, how do you know he was dealing with all these other things? Well, read the book. Just take a gander at it. It's not one of Aesop's fables. It's not some mythological treatise from Greece. You know, you have uh, Satan coming and resisting the, the, the men of God at the throne of God, and you have Michael standing up. All that stuff is right there in the Word, and, and it, it happened. All of that stuff happened in those initial days. You want to talk about a great mountain. You want to talk about some opposition. I mean, that's... that's that's uh, the head of the Council of Seven coming against the throne of God about what God's wanting to do. And it's right there in this book. I don't have to pull it from other books. It's right there. It would be fine if you pulled it from other books. But there it is. So for Zerubbabel to take this impossibility, and, you know, I dare say it looked impossible. You know, <laughs> Israel had been defeated to say the least they're carried away into and i know there were prophecies but you know so what i mean zerubbabel still still there on ground zero he doesn't know when god's going to absolutely do what he's going to do he's just there with the promise and god's saying to him i want to do this will you stand with me you ever been in that position of course and so that was the small beginning. That was the small. <laughs> that, was, that was it. And uh, God's grace says, okay, it's time. It's time. Still going to be a lot of years, but it's time to begin this. And Zerubbabel said, okay. And it wasn't just because he was an authority, which he was. And it wasn't just because he was skilled, which he was. It was a partnership with the Spirit. And so that's grace. And I think, I think we need to hear that. And I think with all of the major victories and expansions that God has given in this last year, continents that have been opened, God, you know, just amazing, amazing things. Um, the main thing about it for God is that we can sit at his feet and have him speak to us about who he is, wh who, what grace is in him, and um, how delighted he is to have a partner like you. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because Let's just, uh, let's just skip past the millennium. 2,000 years from now. <laughs> That's what we're going to have. 
the enemy won't be bothering us anymore. Uh, the demons will all be dealt with. And it's going to be us and our Father and grace. So for him to be talking that now with us is like a small. It's a big, but it's a small. It's a big, it's a small. <laughs> Mamma mia. <laughs> Italy's opening up. Isn't that amazing? You know, Monica mentioned uh, a, a precious saint who, um, who has felt the calling of God to go to Italy and buy a property for the purpose of um, training those that come as migrants to go back to their countries and spread the, the gospel of the saints. And um, the property is going to be bought in the name of whatever saints network is in Italiano. And uh, I'm stunned by all of this. I'm just amazed by it. But who knows, in a year, year and a half, we may be going into the boot and um, seeing an, another new territory open that then springboards into, back into so many African countries that we've not even been able to set foot on. These are Elishas. And so we need to be praying about that, don't we? It's a small, it's a beginning, but um, it's something that through God's grace is going to happen. I'm just amazed by all this, which is why grace is so amazing. Um, so, you know, I, I speak to all of you um, that the grace of God would become more and more a part of the fabric of your heart than it ever has. And that you would have um, the privilege of experiencing commune with our Father in a way that's uh, beyond the limits of the veil that you've known or where the veil used to be. You know, see, it, it, see for us, the veil being rent is... is uh, is kind of an anointing in a way because we all come to a point where there's more of God that uh, the veil of our existence has not let us see. And we need to keep letting God tear that, that, uh, that uh, barrier so that we can go deeper and deeper in him. And uh, I pray that that will be released to you. And, um, and I, I ask that... Uh, that your dreams would be, would be surrounded by his presence and that those purposeful dialogues between you and God would be enhanced and that you will understand them and you'll benefit from them because they are, they are Pentecost, you know? What did God say in Pentecost? It's not some new age thing, which was acute. It's still hard for me to think that when we first started talking about dreams and visions, so many people who should have known better said we were going into the new age. And I'm thinking, you know, that's, a, that's Pentecost. That's a gift to the Father. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
those that are in in a walk of maturity and authority will have dreams and and the young ones will have visions and upon my servants and my handmaids I'll pour out my spirit and uh, that's that's Pentecost and so I release that capacity of Pentecost to all of you in both dreams and visions and um, it's it's happening but let it happen more because this is what God is doing this is what he wants so I release that to you and um, I, I thank I thank our father for this year of grace and I thank him for allowing us to walk together with him as partners as supplicants as those who uh, who are, are really seeing him establish new new uh, new outposts and pressing pressing forward into the darkness with grace and so what comes next wisdom revelation light into the darkness this is amazing that our father has given this but with all that I, I end with this um didn't say how long i'm going to be ending rachel but i end with this You know, I know that there are things that are coming against you all. And uh, I know that there are things that are coming against me that I don't understand. And uh, I, I ask that God would, and I know what we just talked about, my grace is sufficient, but as your pastor, I'm asking that God would extend his hand to you and do some things from his heart that will see he's already begun uh, do some things from his heart <laughs> that will that will bring freedom in some really notable ways you know some of you need to be free physically I speak that into you now and and for those of you who are battling physical scenarios that are indicative prophetically of a spiritual reality I ask that you would gain the victory spiritually and that that manifestation physically would be broken off and what God's wanting to do will be done I release that to you I release it to me while we're releasing things amen <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> it's good to have you two here you're always with us online but I, I'm still gonna work on getting that cardboard cut out of both of you right there it's just getting the the true handsome quality of Winford captured before I can put that in there I speak blessing over you and that that your uh, your commune with the father would be uh, richer than ever because that's what he wants amen amen father I thank you for your love for us and I thank you that we are really walking as, uh, and this is your word, what verse 14 of Zechariah 4 speaks about, the two sons of the anointing, two anointed ones translated as sons of the anointing oil. And help us, Lord, in this time of pressing to rejoice in the oil that is, that is coming from these anointed ones, uh, these anointed sons, that we'll be able to give that, that we'll be able to release that into others and let us break through with you uh, that, that let us let us know that goodness of your presence 
And um, I, I bless your people today. In this house, this precious house, and into the, all the other houses of the saints, we love you, Father. Thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in grace. We love you, and we ask these things in the wonderful name of our elder brother, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, grace, grace to you. And um, God bless all of you. We'll see you soon.